You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning. I have to be careful not to talk in an Irish accent up here because we went to this Irish pub place for work this past weekend and Douglas and I were together and we started working on our Irish accents which really just sounded like pirates let's be honest. So it's been getting slipped into normal conversation which is not good. Especially when you're not when you're preaching, that's not good. Uh, so, who came here? I also I can't monopolize all my time talking about this, but I just have to ask: Who here this morning came from uh, the other side of the river where you would normally take the Holton Bridge, but you had to take another another way? Okay, so not uh, a few, not many. It's just it's just funny the way people talk about the Holton Bridge. It's like you thought someone died because they're they're like, did you hear? Did you hear the news? bridge is going to be closed. And, and like, I'm part of the problem because I'm just like, oh no, oh no, this is awful. I have to take the new can or something. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So we're in this sermon series. It's a good transition. Uh, we're in this sermon series and it's called Across the Table, Relationships That Stretch Us. And I love the message last week. If you didn't hear and the, if you weren't here last week, it was an awesome message that Donnie preached last week on, on marriage and having a good marriage What an awesome word. It's ingrained in my head. I, I think about it. Um, if you're listening on podcast, go back one week and listen to that one and then listen to this one, which, by the way, we're glad you're listening here. Um, if, can we give the people who are listening on podcast a, a round of applause? Maybe you guys can hear this. Even though you're not here, we still love you and we wish you were here. So we're in this sermon series called Across the Table, Relationships That Stretch Us Into. This morning we're going to talk about uh, family. And this is a, this is a touchy subject I, I've learned when, when preparing this message. I, I was kind of telling we have a little prayer time before um, we come up here as, as volunteers. And, and I was saying, man, I was feeling kind of the weight of this because people take this real seriously. Family is a real serious thing. And, and family issues, they bother us deeply. And some of you come from really hurtful family situations and backgrounds. It's just difficult. Um, so I, I'm right there with you. I'm aware of that, and that's difficult. But uh, we, we can learn some things from the Bible. But I first want to talk about myself, because ever since I was younger, I had this one mission in life, and it's pretty stereotypical for like a younger brother. I just wanted to ruin my sister's lives. I had two older sisters. Um, the, the smartest of the two when I was a kid was definitely my sister Pam, because she would uh, bribe me, which is the best way to keep a younger brother who wants to ruin your life at bay, because she had a waterbed, you see, and so she, which is, which is kind of weird. Does anyone here have a waterbed? Oh man, there's just I just loved the waterbed, and she would use it to her advantage. Be like, okay, listen, if you, you know, leave me alone, I'll give you five minutes on the waterbed. I'm like, done, done. All right, three days not bothering her, five minutes on the waterbed. It makes sense. I'll do that. My sister Julie, on the other hand, I just you know Julie, Chad's Chad's wife, um, or maybe it's Chad is Julie's husband. Anyway, so I used to like want to destroy her life, so. As a kid, you know, she would try to lock me out, and she didn't have a normal kind of lock on the door, like a deadbolt. She probably should have had a deadbolt on her bedroom door. But she had one of those, like, latches, 
that kind of, you know what I'm talking about, like a little metal thing that kind of latches down in there. So I would open up the door, and, and you can kind of see the latch, and all you need is a butter knife. You can just run all in there looking at her Hanson wall. <laughs> she had Hanson posters all over her wall. I secretly loved it. And I would just, like, I just try to ruin her life. That's just what I did. And, I, and so um, I did that very well. She, I don't have any memories of us having a good relationship when I was younger. And we grew into great friends now. Love you, Julie, if you're listening. I do love you. Sorry for that. Kind of. Um, but I used to love just ruining her life. And you see, as I got older, this kind of takes a sad turn, I became better at it. And I kind of know, even now, I kind of know, and I'm guessing you guys know for your families also, that one thing you could say that would just tear down, you know? It would do some serious harm to someone. You could just do that one thing. You know exactly what it is for your family, and we could do that. We become experts on hurting our families when we need to. And it's a horrible thing that, that we have this capacity to, to do this. And, and I don't know what it is, because the, the family relationship, is, it's different than most relationships. Our guards, we have a, a lot of good things in place when we're interacting with people we don't know quite as well as our family. We... we, we don't go certain places. We make sure that we don't say certain things. But with our family, we have the capacity. We have the ability to be extremely harsh, and we have great expectations. And and with that comes the need to make little spitting remarks and difficulties. It's just it, it's all too easy with family because they're family, and so our guards are down. So this whole message I, I kind of titled "Family Ruin" to. F- family reconciliation. And we're going to look at actually a passage in the Bible. If you have an app or if you have your Bibles with you and you want to turn to Genesis 37, you can. If you're using a version or something, I'm going to be talking uh, from the message paraphrase mostly, but I'll have some of those scriptures on the screen. But of course, as any thinking person would do with a touchy subject like this, I'm going to resort to a lot of humor mixed in with it. So let's, that's the way we kind of cope with things, isn't it? So we can just kind of laugh about it, and in the meantime, um, kind of think hopefully pretty critically about it, and also ask God to talk to us to change us, because family reconciliation is something that can happen. If you're in the midst of, of a difficult time right now, that can, that can really happen. There, there is a way, and we're going to learn about it this morning, which is really cool. And we're going to learn from this passage in the Bible where this family, man, they were in a mess, in so much of a deep mess, and it happened so long ago that maybe you would look at this and think of it more of a, of a story, more than an event, more than an event. But it is an event that happened in history. So in our Western mindset, we kind of have to look at that and say, okay, this, this, this could have happened. This did happen back in the day. Don't let the craziness of it throw you off from the reality of it and the truthfulness of it happening in history because it's crazy and we can learn a lot from it. So Genesis 37, here we go. I want to talk first. Um, let's look at this passage of the Bible and label it How to Ruin a Family. So this is a nice uh, textbook couple of ways, and actually, if you have like an iPhone or, or uh, Android, some sort of a smartphone, or if you have an ability to write something down, let's do something interesting here for notes. I'm going to talk about three main things that kind of serve as suitcases, and, and, and within those three things that we learned from this event in history, uh, I'm going I'm to 
pull out some points that we can talk about, but maybe you'd sit there and also say, okay, from that kind of a thing can also be this underlying that issue, and which could really be this issue, this issue, this issue falls all under this, and hopefully it'd be something that maybe God's talking to you about this morning. Maybe you would be open to God talking to you about that this morning. If you're in a rough family situation, maybe a little bit of a conviction is a good thing for this kind of a morning. But we're talking how to ruin a family. So the Bible is going to be super helpful in, in, in telling us reasons or ways to ruin our family. So this is good. So if you want to ruin your family, this is what we ought to do, okay? So we're going to start with Genesis 37 verse 2. It says, the story continues with Joseph, or in our purposes this morning, it begins with Joseph. 17 uh, years old at the time, helping out his brothers in herding the flocks. These were his half-brothers, actually, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. And Joseph brought his father bad reports on them. Israel, this is his father, also named Jacob, kind of confusing, but his dad loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the child of his old age, and he made him an elaborately embroidered coat. When his brothers realized that their father loved him more than them, they grew to hate him. They wouldn't even speak to him. So one of the first things we need to do, if we want to ruin our families, this is important, parents, this is is really important, is to pick favorites. That's, that's a very good way to start ruining a family because sometimes favorites are being picked and we think that, that no one notices, but people notice. Siblings notice. And if you're a sibling who was not the favorite, you know because you're like, ah, it's obvious who was the favorite. And maybe you're even squeezing someone's leg right now or looking over or in your head you're thinking to yourself, yeah, know who the favorite in the family was? It was probably me. They wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, argue that. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. My, my parents didn't pick favorites. Um, so uh, pick favorites. Creates animosity within a family, doesn't it? Look at the the event with Joseph and his brothers, they grew to hate him. That's easily seen, and they, they wouldn't even speak to him. Actually, I, I, like, I like how the Bible says in, in Proverbs that playing favorites is always a bad thing. You can do great harm in seemingly harmless ways. And whether you're in this place this morning and you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, I think this makes sense. It makes sense from a biblical perspective. It makes sense of just a normal person. You can see how picking favorites kind of creates animosity, jealousy within families. It makes siblings uncomfortable. And you would even say, okay, I'm not even a Bible reading kind of a person, but This makes sense. Playing favorites is always a bad thing. You can do great harm in seemingly harmless ways. And I want to point out one of those seemingly harmless ways because sometimes we don't quite see the gravity of picking favorites. We don't quite see what kind of an effect it can have on those who aren't the favorites, but also the favorites themselves. You see, in in this article in Psychology Today, it says, ultimately, favorite children are those who make parents feel most competent and most successful, who best reflect on their parents. And you need to understand that the Bible is true when it says that you can, you can do great harm in seemingly harmless ways because what ends up happening with favorites a lot of the time, and psychology today is kind of pointing at this, is we find our self-worth as parents sometimes in our kids. 
And when we find our self-worth in our kids, what that can do is really just crush them. Because it's hard enough as a kid to live to what God has called you to be yourself, let alone to be what your parents want you to be for them. It's a gospel problem. It's a good news of Jesus problem. It's a lack of God problem to find your self-worth as a parent in your kids because it can, it can really crush them. And it's a fine line because it's something that takes deep reflection as a parent to be able to say, I am finding my self-worth a bit in my kids here. Because the line gets a bit skewed when we say, oh, I really just want to push them to be their best. I really want to draw out their greatest potential. I want to see them succeed and flourish into the person who I know God has called them to be. These are all ways that it may be true, but it takes some soul searching, some honesty, some questioning within yourself to say, am I really doing those things or am I actually finding my own self-worth? Am I living vicariously through my kids? Is that why I'm pushing them so hard to get that A? Is that why I want them to get into that best school? Is that why I want them to have an honorable reputation around the neighborhood or go to that school? When I post that status, is it that I really want them to be their best, or is it, man, you know what, I actually feel like I've done something good here. And there's a good kind of pride, there is, but there's also a damaging kind of pride that says, I'm not finding myself worth ultimately in a God who loves me, but I'm actually finding it in my kids. And to put that kind of expectation on your kids can crush. It can crush. Always a bad thing, the Bible says, to pick favorites. It can do more harm than you can realize. But there's also a second kind of way. That's a negative aspect on, on a child when, when you, you pick a favorite and they're the favorite and now they're, they're feeling the crushing weight. And some of you, some of you know what that feels like. Um, but there's also a flip side to that. And this is the, the case with Joseph. You know, we, we read the Bible and we say, oh, Joseph, what an awesome guy. And he is an awesome guy. And he was an awesome guy. And there was an awesome ending to this, which we'll get to. But... He was kind of an idiot early on because also as a favorite, and you guys know this, and especially siblings, (laughs) and maybe if you're the favorite yourself, you would say, yeah, that could be me. Um, It can raise your child to become that inflated, arrogant, proud, and entitled golden child. We all know this person, the golden child. And it's not a good thing because it, 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 it inflates when you pick a favorite. And there's a good kind of like confidence that can come when it's done right, but then there's an overconfidence where you're like the golden child. And you know what I mean by golden child. Like it's almost self-explanatory. I don't have to unpack it a whole lot. It's like it's the golden child. So actually, we kind of see the effects of picking the favorite here in Joseph. And maybe you've seen this to be true in your own life and experiences as well. So this, the event continues Remember, just so we can know where we came from, because I'm kind of breaking up the event quite a bit. There was a favorite, and Joseph or Jacob, his father, loved him way more. His brothers grew to hate him. Sip of water. Continue. So, Joseph had a dream. This is the son, the favorite. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more, and you can see why. He said, listen to this dream I had. We were all out in the field gathering bundles of wheat. All of a sudden, my bundle stood straight up and all your bundles circled around it and bowed down to mine. Put yourself in this position within your own family and siblings and imagine someone saying this to you. (laughs) His brother said, 
so you're going to rule us, you're going to boss us around, and they hated him more than ever because of his dreams and the way he talked. He had another dream and told his this one also to his brothers. I dreamed another dream. This is good. The sun and moon and 11 stars bowed down to me. When he told it to his father and brothers, his father reprimanded him. What's with all this dreaming? Am I and your mother and your brothers all supposed to bow down to you? Now his brothers were really jealous, but his father brooded over the whole business. Second way how to ruin a family. Be the golden child jerk. And it's really the perfect word for it, okay? Jerk. They're, they're jerks sometimes, the golden child jerk. I, I, I am that child sometimes, and I, I can be that jerk toward my siblings, to be honest with you. Um, which, by the way, I, used to, I, I usually preface stories of, like, my childhood by saying, I was just a, I was a terrorist of a kid. And, and people usually look at me and say, I can see that. I don't know how to take that. If you've said that, I don't know what that means. Like, I feel like I've done okay since then. I feel like I've grown as a person. But I never know. They they say that often. It's like troubling. I I do some soul searching or something. I don't know. Be the golden child jerk. Okay, so I hope you're writing things down here for as you're listening to this event and what's happening, you're writing down things that, that would fall under these categories. Picking favorites don't this, this, this. Golden child jerk this, this, this. Here's the problem with being golden, golden child jerk. Just a couple of things. Again, these aren't exhaustive lists. We cannot love unconditionally if we allow entitlement into our minds. Because what happens is when we are inflated as golden children, as the golden child, as we feel like, hey, mom and dad love me the best, you, you get this kind of distorted view of yourself where you become, you become the crap. You become the big deal. You become awesome. And you start thinking to myself, well, I've, I've earned this, you see. I've earned this love. I am the best. And, and I'm exaggerating it quite a little bit here, but these are underlying things that, that can be underneath that golden child status, which it takes really crafty ways into problem territory where you might not identify it as much, but I'm going to blow it up like giant for you and, and use hyperbole with it also to say as a golden child you're saying yeah I've earned this I've earned this I deserve this I deserve what my parents feel about me and it's obvious that my siblings don't deserve it because they're not like me they haven't received this kind of a GPA they didn't get into this school they didn't do this many volunteer hours they didn't listen to mom here they didn't make that mistake with that person there they didn't use that substance there they didn't drink that like like I didn't they drink that I don't drink that blah 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 you get the picture so it's easy to as a child as the golden child to say, I deserve this. But the problem with that is when you become a parent, it becomes a cyclical issue where then you're saying, you need to be this way in order for me to love you because that's the way I did it, you see? All underneath the golden child thing comes all of these issues. And, and behind that also, and we see it with Joseph where he's, he's having these dreams and, and you, have this, you have this kind of a comparison issue too. You start having that go on. You start comparing yourself to your siblings and you, you have to maintain this golden child status so you will do whatever it takes, X, Y, and Z, to make sure that you stay at the top of your parents' 
estimation of their esteem that you stay on the top of their list as the favorite. So you will actually go to great lengths to even belittle your siblings instead of lift them up. Not just your siblings, but your whole family. You'll do whatever it takes to become the one and stay the one on top because it's intoxicating being on the top. And it's actually what Joseph did also back in the first event. In just verse 2, it says that uh, the story continues with Joseph. This is the very first one we, we, we read. Um, at 17 years old at the time, helping out his brothers and herding the flocks. They were his half-brothers, actually, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. And Joseph brought his father bad reports on them. Why did he do it? He did it because Joseph, Jacob, his father, was already starting to build this kind of love and favoritism for Joseph. And Joseph knew. And he was going to the extreme, like I'm talking about, as the golden child, he would put down his other brothers to make himself seem bigger and greater and better. And that's the difficulty with being the golden child, one of the difficulties. Self-absorption talk is selfish and just generally unaware. I I kind of want to give... Joseph, the benefit of the doubt on this time here, but um, in this text where he's talking about these dreams, but I think we could all say, I actually wrote it here in my notes, that Joseph had an extreme lack of tact. And that's kind of an understatement when you come to your siblings and say, okay, I'm the wheat, everyone is coming. First of all, that would just be weird now if you had that kind of a dream where you're like, okay, you're all wheat and you're all bowing down to me. That'd be very strange. Um, But so lack of tact though, yeah, you probably shouldn't have said it in that way at that time. And it's just, uh, just they're already hating you, Joseph. You received the sweet leather jacket coat thing from your dad. I mean, like Rocky status, Rocky, what, two, one, you know, lion, you know, tiger on the back, just incredible. You got that from your dad. That's great. Um, they're all, or, you know, and we do that too as parents. We give things to our favorites that other people, you know, other siblings don't get. They notice. It's very obvious. Um, but he, he doesn't, ha- he, he just isn't aware of the way he's talking. Or maybe you are aware and you would actually go there just because you know as the golden child that that would hurt your siblings. So there's some issues there and it actually leads to even more issues that drive your siblings crazy. Hatred is what the, the Bible kind of talks about there. So I want to keep talking about this event, and I'm going to read from my phone here up until the next portion of scripture so you can keep your head in the, in the event here. So what happened was Jacob picked a favorite child. Brothers are already starting to notice. They're feeling hatred. Joseph is really embracing it. He has these two dreams and tell his brothers about it. He's being the golden child jerk. And brothers, it's like a pot boiling. It's about to boil over. It's like a a fuse has been lit and uh, the rocket's about to take off here. So here's, we're kind of building here. His brothers had gone off to Shechem where they were pasturing their father's flocks. Israel, that's Joseph's father said to Joseph, your brothers are with the flocks in Shechem. Come, I want to send you to them. Joseph said, I'm ready. He said, go and see how your brothers in the flocks are doing and bring me back a report. He sent him off from the valley of Hebron to Shechem. A man met him as he was wandering through the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? 
I'm trying to find my brothers. Do you have any idea where they are grazing their flocks? The man said, they've left here, but I overheard them say, let's go to Dotham. So Joseph took off, tracked his brothers down, and found them in Dotham. So pay attention here. They spotted him. This is his, his brothers here. They spotted him off in the distance by the time he got to them. They had cooked. The brothers had cooked up a plot to kill him. The brothers were saying, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him and throw him into one of these old cisterns. We can say that a vicious animal ate him up. We'll see what his dreams amount to. This is one of those things where you read it and you say, okay, that's really extreme. I would never let it get to that kind of point where I actually want to kill my own sibling. But I think that the Bible shows something important here. And things were different back in the day, of course, but really... It can eat away at you. When you look and you are getting jealous as that person who's not the golden child, it can really eat away at you and get to a place where you would do something really even beyond what you would say is your normal self. You would look at the aftermath, and maybe this has already happened in a couple of occasions where you you look at something you've done toward your sibling and said, man, was I even capable of doing such a thing? I didn't even know that I was capable of doing such a horrible thing. So the third way of really ruining a family is be the nasty wannabe. And I use the word nasty uh, pretty strategically because we do nasty things. And it's easy to say it's all the golden child, but there's all these problems that happen as the wannabe because we have an insecurity as a wannabe. We look at the golden child or we look at someone who who is doing okay in the family and maybe they have made right choices where you haven't and it's easy to start resenting them for that. And so you just throw it all away. You're like, you know what? I can never be that so I might as well take the extreme opposite and be even worse (laughs) just because I can. Like, what's the point? I'm never going to amount up to it. And that may be the golden child putting that on you, but it may be just you saying, you know what, I just can't do it. And you let insecurity come in, you let jealousy come in, and the Bible shows here in this event a very important kind of um, continuum here, a a way that things move within us as people, and it's the hatred to what the Bible calls very jealous continuum, you see. We have to be careful as the nasty wannabes that we do not let hatred fester. This happens to us as people. Something will get under our skin, and instead of coping with it in a right way, we'll just stuff it down and we'll let it just fester. It's the perfect word for it. We let it fester, and this is exactly what happened in this event with Joseph's brothers. We saw it happen. You heard it from the very beginning. They hated him. Hate, hate, hate. When you are stewing and steeping and marinating in hate, it is bound to manifest itself into horrible, horrible things. And that's exactly what happened with Joseph's brothers. They felt so much hatred, and they were just, you can imagine them just, because maybe you're even at the point right now with that too. You have festering hate in you within your family. You're thinking of someone else, and that is just eating away at you, and it's just, it's just rolling It's rolling and it's gathering steam. It's like a snowball going down a mountain, just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the Bible then shows hatred moving to what they say, very jealous. They became very jealous. And it's almost at that point, it's like you resolve in your mind that you are going to do something horrible. 
and you're going to be strategic about it because they were very strategic about doing harm to Joseph. Hatred moved itself to a strategic kind of jealousy, a strategic kind of action, which is horrible. And it's good to be aware of these things so that we take care of it early on if there's hatred there. That we take care of it, that we talk to someone, that we turn to God. It's really important for, to, 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 to not let it get to that point where that is going to manifest itself into real ugliness, which will do horrible harm to a family. Insecurity, anger, hatred, festering. I want to move kind of quickly here when it comes to what happened in the rest of this event because they saw Joseph coming. They had this elaborate plan that was, that was birthed out of hatred, turned to jealousy, horrible action. And they saw Joseph coming. There was a couple of brothers who actually had a little bit of like a moment of conviction where they're like, okay, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into the cistern. One of the brothers said, I'm going to actually go back and, and, and save him and, and make sure that no harm is done to him. Another brother says, actually, you know what? I have a better idea than killing him. Let's throw him into a cistern and then let's sell him into slavery because then at least we can make a profit. It makes sense, right? So they actually ended up doing that. Joseph moved on, and I know it's kind of anticlimactic to build up to this point and then move really quickly, but I'm going to be even more anticlimactic because it's important that you hear the point of this and what's available. There's no need to build up to it. I'm just going to tell you what it is. He was built, he was sent, sent into slavery, sold into slavery, and through a long series of events, some of which I'll mention, there was family reconciliation. Wow, that's anticlimactic. He had this long buildup of showing favoritism and, and then the golden child and, and the dirty wannabe, and you just say that they're better. Wow. When he was sold into slavery, amazing things happened to Joseph, and you can read it in the Bible in Genesis. It's like Genesis 37 to like 50. It, it takes up a lot of space. So read through it on your own also so you can look at the nitty-gritty of it. But at the end of it all, there was family reconciliation where there was a, a real tender moment where you would look at this event, and if they were a real family today that you knew, you would be like, wow, that is just, that is, that is miraculous. How could they have recovered from that kind of a thing that they went through? At the end, there were tears, there was, embra- there was real reconciliation. Imagine your family right now, those of you who are in real problems right now, where you're head against head, just constantly batting it together. Imagine you hugging that person, that you're loving on that person. They're looking at you in the eyes and saying, I love you, and I love you unconditionally. I love you. And there's just so much reconciliation. Imagine that. That's the kind of picture that's happened with Joseph, you see. In the midst of his slavery, some really amazing things happened. First of all, Joseph did mature. He started making some good decisions, but it wasn't decisions that just got him to where he was, you see, because you'll see right now what happened to him, very unlikely for a slave. This is like something you'd see in a Hollywood movie, something that would be made up, but it's really not made up. This actually happened. He was attacked and sold into slavery, and he rises to the post of Potiphar, who was this really high up in command of the the country, his assistant. He became his assistant, which is a nice nice position of power. He then became the 
he made some right decisions that got him in prison. Wow, down again. But then he kind of built himself, he was built up again to this point where he becomes the prisoner's governor's deputy. And he gets out of that and he becomes the appointed vizier of Egypt, second in authority to Pharaoh himself, where he manages uh, one of the duties, manages the entire country's food supply during an extreme famine. How did this happen? Because he was in slavery. It's, 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 it's insane that this actually happened the way that it, that it happened. And he did start making some right decisions. He finally started to become a bit humble. Like I said, he became a bit mature, more mature. He started turning to God, which was good. But that's just the thing with us as people. We look at an event like this and... We look at the favoritism that was shown. We look at the golden child status. We look at the wannabes and what they're they're capable of. And we say to ourselves, what I need to do today. Here's the end goal. I'm going to look at my notes that I wrote down. or I'm going to remember the favoritism thing. I'm going to remember the golden child thing. I'm going to remember the wannabe thing. And I'm just going to work on it. I'm going to be better. I'm going to start making real changes. I'm going to do it. The problem with that is, and that does need to happen, but that's not all that needs to happen. To walk out of a Sunday morning like this, on any occasion, with any principle coming off of a screen like this, if that is your first go-to, is I'm just going to do, 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 and that's all you're going to do, imagine it being like just a, a, a match that you light. There it is, nice and bright, strong, and just out. Windy day. There are there is, there is one thing that led, one main thing. Yes, Joseph made some right decisions. Yeah, that's great. There's one thing that led to family reconciliation that day. And it's encompassed in five words, and it's mentioned multiple times in the text of Joseph, rising in these amazing, miraculous, in the, in the re- true sense of the word, amazing, miraculous, wonderful things that are happening in slavery that got him to positions of power. There are five words, one thing, encompassed in five words that got him to that place. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. You cannot look at a family mess like this. You cannot look at extreme reconciliation like this and not think and not know that there is some supernatural God stuff happening behind it. You have to hear this because we want to do, 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 do. And it's good to do, but it's good to do when there's something at the base of it and his name is Jesus. Because it is not, family health came not from Joseph's effort, but it came from God's proximity. Family health came not from Joseph's effort, but from God's proximity. If you guys are in a position right now where you are having family trouble, if we are in a position where we're having family trouble, we need to look at this. I don't care what you have to do. Write it down. Take a picture of it on your phone. Health came not from Joseph's effort, but it came from God's proximity. The Lord was with Joseph. Undeniable that God put him to that place where then at the end there was the crying, there was the loving, there was the reconciliation, family ruin to reconciliation. It came because God was in the midst of it all and he was with Joseph. What an amazing thing. And it kind of gets you to the point where if you are in the midst of family difficulty, 
and you look at an event like this, you look at a story like this, and, and you hear those words, the Lord was with Joseph, you can't help but, but wonder, like, man, wouldn't it be nice if God was with me like that? If you say that this is what really, really did it for Joseph, is this really what, if this is really what brought reconciliation to that horrible family situation, if it really is God being with Joseph, how nice would it be? Wow. Yeah, that's great for Joseph. What about me? I wish God was with me like he was with Joseph. (laughs) But don't you see? The entirety of this Bible, start to finish, is a story about a family that was messed up. (laughs) A father who was supposed to have good relations with his sons and daughters, his family. And those siblings... Those children, they rebelled against their dad. They ended up loving themselves more than they loved their father. But the father came down, the Bible says, and and he wanted reconciliation. Jesus came for reconciliation, you see. Jesus came so that he could give you the kind of proximity that Joseph had with God. And even more so, Jesus died to be with you. You say this morning, man, I would love, worship team, I want to invite you to start coming up and please hang with me here because this is the secret sauce. How nice would it be if I could have God with me like the Lord was with Joseph? How nice would it be? Well, I'm telling you this morning that Jesus came and died so he could be with you. Jesus came and he loved you so much in the midst of all of your stuff, your family your family ruin, your family mistakes, your selfishness, the golden child status, the wannabes. Maybe you're a parent who's showing favoritism and you're saying, man, I just need God in my life. I just need the proximity. I need what you're talking about. Jesus died so that he could be with you. It's available to you. It started some 2,000 years ago when the Bible says the Word became flesh and He dwelled among us. He literally came. Jesus came as a man on this earth, fully God and fully man, and He came in proximity to us and He had one thing on His mind. It is, I need to be close to everyone. I need to right the wrongs in this world, not the least of which is family ruin that needs to be brought to reconciliation. He came and he lived a perfect life and he died on a cross so that you could look to him as your savior. All the stuff that makes us bad family members, you and I both. Jesus took care of on a cross so a different reality could exist for us as families where we can have reconciliation where there's ruin, where we can have health, where there's extreme ugliness. And when we trust in Jesus as our Savior, I love what the Scripture says. You want proximity? You want God? You want to be close to God like God was with Joseph? You want proximity? Listen to what the Scripture says. I love this. When you trust in Jesus as your Savior, this is what the Bible says. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? He lives in you. 
You want proximity. He lives within you. And when he's within you, Christian, follower of Jesus, if he is within you, don't you see he can change your perspective. He has to change your mind so you start seeing people differently. You look to Jesus on the cross and you say, wow, I can love my family unconditionally. You can look at Jesus on the cross and say, you know what? I'm picking favorites with my kids. I'm going to find my self-worth in Jesus where God as man came down for my imperfections and he died on a cross. What kind of love is that? Self-worth through the roof. Wow, God must have a high opinion of me. I need nothing but him on that cross and his love. That is enough for me. Now I want to see the best for my kids. You look to Jesus on the cross as the golden child and you're humbled and you say, wow, you know, I'm kind of, I'm not as perfect as I thought I was. But even so, I was loved. I don't need to earn anyone's love. Jesus, he loves me unconditionally, so much so that he died on a cross. It is one thing for a man to die, a pretty good person to die for a good cause. It is a whole other thing for a perfectly, perfectly good God to die for all the sin and messed upness in the world. Don't you see the kind of love it takes to bring that God to a cross to die for you so he could be close to you, so you can have first a restored relationship to him as family, but then restored and renewed and rejuvenated, reconciled relationships within our ruined families now. He looks at the wannabe and the wannabe says, I look to Jesus on the cross and instead of having anger and jealousy and hatred being moved to very jealous, horrible actions, Instead of having those things in my toolbox, I now have Jesus. I have the spirit residing within me. And those tools are exchanged for love, joy, and peace, and and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and gentleness, and and self-control. Wow. Don't you see that Jesus is the answer? The proximity of God is the answer. It's not the addition. It's not the tag onto the side of all the effort. It is the base solution, you see. God can work through and in spite of family garbage. And you need to hear that this morning because some of you, it's a hard thing to talk about. I know I've talked, I've said this already. It's a hard thing because I know some of you are in the midst of family difficulty right now. So it's really hard as a person, I got to tell you this, it's hard for me as a person to say this to you because I know you're looking at this statement and you're like, you don't know. You just simply don't know. I'm going to look back at you and say, you're right. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that some 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross and it was proximity to God that helped Joseph and his family situation. And maybe you would be honest enough to look at your situation and say, wow, that is a really rough situation. I, I, I see a lot that if that is true, God really was able to do something miraculous, amazing in that situation. Maybe, just maybe, he might be able to do something similarly with mine. I'm saying he is because God can work through. And in spite of family garbage, he did. He has in the past. He's doing it today. He'll do it tomorrow. He's always ready for you to accept what he did on the cross and start changing some things. Trust God to move family ruin to family reconciliation. Trust God to move family ruin to family reconciliation. If you're here this morning 
And you find yourself identifying with a parent who, who is showing favoritism or a golden child or a wannabe. I want to encourage you to look to Jesus. Joseph did start making right decisions. The Bible doesn't call us to do nothing. It doesn't say, okay, I'm going to trust in Jesus and now I'm just going to wait for this all to unfold in the right way. (laughs) He wants us to change our actions. The Bible says it's like being attached to a vine where Jesus is the vine, where that's where the life comes from, but from that vine comes all kinds of fruit. So we are to move, we are to act, but we are to act, and the way we act effectively is with the basis of Jesus as being our life, our motivation and the power, because there comes a real power when the Spirit lives within you. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with any of those areas with family ruin and you're identifying with any of those issues, the first thing is to get more of Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning and you're actually more like Joseph who was a bit more mature and he was actually going through more crap in his life where he kept getting pushed down. Where maybe you're in the midst of your family and you're making good moves, and you would honestly say, you know what, I actually feel like I am in God. I feel like I am, like I really am. I'm doing what he's saying, and I'm just not, I'm just discouraged. I'm not getting there. I'm not seeing what he's doing. I want to encourage you also, because this is important. Joseph, at the end of it all, when there was reconciliation, he was able to identify at that moment, later, he was able to say, God had planned this all for good. And that came later. All you are to rest on, all we are to rest on, if we are really truly attached to Jesus, if we are focusing on Jesus, if we are following his word, we're doing the best we can with Jesus' power and motivation and we're still not seeing anything, all we are to rest on is the goodness of God and that in the end he will work it all out for good. And you need to hear that this morning because some of you are doing it and you're like, man, I can't do it, God, come on, give me the Joseph reconciliation. I want to encourage you. What's required of you is exactly what you're doing. And at the end of your life, God will look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Take some serious rest in that. I want to ask you this question as we prepare ourselves for worship. How would life look different if we actually believed? Hear me out here. How would life look different if we actually believed that God's proximity was the answer? Because we're saying this kind of stuff on a Sunday morning all the time. But what if we actually believed it? That God's proximity was the answer? How would our daily lives look differently? Would we be praying to God more? Will we be reading God's word more? Will we literally be down on our knees and saying, God, I need you closer. I need you closer. If you actually knew that the family crap you're going through would end if you would just get closer to God, how would that change your life? Where would you start pointing your kids in the directions of their life? How would you prioritize things? How would you live your entire life if that really was the answer? I want to encourage you to explore that. Give it a shot. What an amazing thing. What an amazingly loving God we have 
to provide a way out of the family ruins we often get ourselves into and offers a real way to reconciliation. As we respond this morning, I want to pray for us that we would respond as followers or if you don't believe in Jesus, to ask God to to really work on your heart and to expose the areas that maybe you've been covering up Am I showing favorites where I ought not to be showing favorites and all those things underneath? Am I, is any of that applicable to, is that happening to me right now? Golden child, do I have any of these underlying things? Want to be, am I feeling jealousy? Am I at the point where I'm letting hatred kind of steep and fester? I want to encourage us to come to this altar this morning and don't be embarrassed come up here and come confidently before God and pray to him as if it really were if he really was the solution I want to start seeing family health in the the church of Riverside so that people would look at this house and say wow what a beautiful house I want to be a part of what's happening there and may God Jesus get all the glory for it if you're here in this place and you aren't a believer then the first step for you is to say I need to get close to this Jesus I need to I need to look to him as a savior And all you are to do is to come up to this front and and look to God. Same principle applies. Talk to God as if he really was the answer. Jesus, you are the answer. I am a part of the problem. I need you to come within me. I need proximity. I need you close to me. I need you to change my mind. I need you to give me the power to act the way I ought to act. For your glory. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that family ruin is not the end. It doesn't have to be the end. Jesus, we thank you for what you did on a cross for us. We thank you for dwelling within us. Thank you for what you did for Joseph and moving him to a point of reconciliation with his family. We want the same for our families, God. I pray that you would make clear the steps that people are to take, even this morning, where they can leave this place and start taking real steps toward reconciliation with their families. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's respond. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.